Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Welcome again to Horizon West Church. Uh, I want to, um, Carmen mentioned it a moment ago, but Horizon West Fest, uh, second annual event that our community puts on and we got the chance to be out there and we did something a little different this year. If you weren't uh, there, uh, I want to let you know that uh, we collaborated with some other churches, one primarily and then several others um, by, by getting, helping them get their information out, but we, we collaborated under the banner of One Church. Uh, that was literally the name and the brand, and so uh, we, we got to say, look, we believe that if you come to one of these several churches who all proclaim the good news of Jesus, that you can experience radical transformation of your life, and to that end, it doesn't necessarily need to be ours. Uh, we get excited when Oasis Church around the corner, or when Life Church Horizon West, or Citrus Church, or Mosaic, or any of these other churches, we get excited when we see God at work in those places because that is the kingdom of God bursting forth in our community. And we say yes and amen to that. And so it was a really cool experience. And I was talking with an individual, he was one of the vendors, uh, sold life insurance, I think. And you know, as we got talking and he, he, you know, we were talking about this one church and what, what is that? Is that the name of the church? No, no, no. That's just the churches coming together saying we're a team, we're, we're working together. He said, man, that's really cool. He goes, I, I, I got really disillusioned with what he called organized religion uh, in the past years. But man, that's super encouraging to see churches that are willing to do that. Um, and what a testimony that the gospel is what matters most. The gospel is the thing that we come under and we proclaim the name of Jesus. Uh, one other thing that was really cool that happened at the event, um, part of this was not cool and then it got cool, uh, we learned that over the course of the day that a, a young boy had gone missing, seven-year-old. I have a seven-year-old. Um, and it was just this moment of like, okay, you know, you're kind of just, what's going to happen, what's next? And then about three, four, five minutes later, they get on the microphone, hey, the little boy's still missing. Well, when a seven-year-old's been missing for five to six minutes, now it's, now it's panic time, right? Especially if you're a parent or family member. And, and so what starts happening is I start seeing our people, Kelly and Keith and Greg and several others, just start kind of fanning out looking for this little boy. Um, and, and eventually, thank God, after about 20 or 30 minutes, uh, the little boy was found. Uh, we, we learned that there was some uh, intellectual challenges that he had. He was nonverbal and some things like that. And so it was a scary situation. And fortunately, somebody found him at a nearby apartment complex and called the police. And um, yeah, it was, it was terrifying. But, but what ended up happening was, A, the child was restored, which was the best news that there was to his family. And the event coordinator, the, the woman uh, that organized the event, Stephanie, found me and she said, hey, your church really sprung into action. And so they really stepped up when that little boy went missing. I want to thank you for being a church like that. You know, and I, and I love that because we talk at Horizon West Church about this. We want to be a diverse community of good friends who are together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus with our community. And events like Horizon West Fest and things like that where we are able to step in and even when it's just good works, when we're not necessarily taking somebody through the plan of salvation, although we long to do that as well, but the community looks and says, man, there's something going on in this church, there's something going on in these churches, and I'm interested. 
Well, this morning I was driving into uh, to church and I, I knew that I needed uh, an illustration for this morning's message. Um, and that's what all of this is. This is not my breakfast. Don't judge me. And I stopped by a certain convenience store to pick these things up. And, and this will get more explanation in a moment. But I want you to see what this convenience store had on the outside of their window. I'm not saying the name because I'm not trying to put anybody on blast here. But it says, whatever gets you going. And if you'll notice, the little icons there would be a cupcake, a Slurpee, a pizza, a hot dog. Uh, I don't, can't see all the donut, right? Whatever gets you going this morning. Well, the, the question that we're going to wrestle with two things this morning is this. A, what gets you going? And B, where is that taking you? What gets you going and where is that taking you? Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, as we continue in our hashtag blessed series, Jesus speaking on the mountainside to his disciples and to the crowds says these words, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Each week we have looked at a lie that Jesus is dismantling with the, the statement, blessed are such and such category of people. Today, it's actually a two for the price of one. You got a BOGO this morning. Jesus is going to dismantle, I think, two lies at the same time. One is the lie that I can find satisfaction in the world apart from God. And the other, that I cannot experience God's blessing until I arrive spiritually. And to that end, I want to show you three things in this very small verse in Matthew chapter 5, truths that we can lay hold of that are going to help us understand what Jesus is saying when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The first truth is this, appetite wins. Appetite wins. Nick and I were first living in Orlando. We lived in an apartment complex on Kirkman Road. We heard about seven accidents a day on that road. I'm exaggerating, but it was bad. You'd hear the screeching tires and that pow, you know. So if you're driving on Kirkman, just be careful. But having said that, we were also in 2012. She was pregnant for the first time, and we were experiencing all the things. Well, I shouldn't say that. She was experiencing all the things. And one of those things was cravings. Anybody ever had this situation happen to them? Okay. Well, her particular craving, and I didn't talk to her about this illustration I was going to use, and she's not here right now, so I might need to check this before the next service, but her particular craving was for Tijuana Flats chips, okay? Now, we like Tijuana Flats, but when she was pregnant with our first child, it was like, it was like a have to, like it would, and it would come at like 9.30 at night, and, and It'd be like, okay, they close in 20 minutes, like, we, we got to go. I'm like racing to the store, and they had to be like, the hot chips, no salsa, just bring them home. And she would just eat some of the bag, all of the bag of chips. And that was her, that was, that was her craving, right? Because in that moment, 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm thinking sleep, I'm thinking wind the day down, but her appetite was telling her Tijuana Flats chips, and appetite wins. Whatever you hunger for most, whatever you crave the strongest, is the thing that you, you will be driven to, regardless of what your head tells you is best for you. And this is important, because as followers of Jesus, as many of us are, we know in our head what we should want, 
But there's a difference between what should and what is. Jesus says, what you should hunger for most, what you should thirst for above anything else, is righteousness. Now, I want to be really clear here. Jesus is not using the word righteousness to talk about moral perfection, but rather a right standing or a right relationship with God. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not moral perfection. It's a right relationship with our creator. Jesus is saying that the thing we should desire most in this world is to be in right relationship with God. A parallel verse, and, and I personally believe that the, the Beatitudes, or these blessed are statements of Jesus, are kind of like his thesis to what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So he's going to give us about 12 verses saying, the blessed life looks like this, and then he's going to give us three chapters on teasing that out. The parallel verse to this uh, verse in Matthew 5 is found in Matthew 6.33, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. See, here's the truth. Because appetite wins, the question is not whether you will be filled, it's what you will be filled with. And there is a difference between being filled and being fulfilled. The world system is heavily invested in getting us to fill ourselves with things that will not and cannot fulfill us. Things that will not and cannot satisfy. And it does this by capturing our appetite. Doesn't need our mind. That doesn't fundamentally need to change what we believe. It just needs to capture our appetite. I'm going to give you two quick examples of the way that it, it might do this. One is by capturing our appetite for sex. I went there. I've been transparent, those of you that have walked with me for a, a, a while, months, or, or certainly those who have walked with me for years know that I, that I have a story here. Long seasons of my life where my appetite for sex was captured and, and, and manifest in the wrong ways. Did you know that the U.S. alone has produced over 240 million pornographic web pages? And did you know that's almost enough for one page per adult in America? Wow. 240 million. And what's really sad is they're not even targeting adults. Yeah, I don't know if you knew that. The pornographic industry is primarily targeting young people, teenagers. In fact, the, the average age of exposure to pornography in our country now is eight years old and trending downward younger. So what's, what's the goal of, of the enemy? What's the goal of the world system here? Well, it's to capture our sexual appetite as early and often as possible so that we spend our lives filling ourselves with things that cannot fulfill. Appetite wins. Another example, the one that Jesus uses is appetite for food and drink. So he, here's where I went this morning. I went to a, you know, this convenience store and I, I, I told the lady, I felt like I needed to clarify why I was buying this stuff at 6.30 in the morning. Um, I said, you've probably never had somebody come in and buy a salad, apples, Mountain Dew, and Krispy Kreme donuts in one shot, right? Like that's probably never happened. 
But, but here's why I do that. All of us know that, that the apples and the salad and, and the water, these are the things that are going to be healthier for us, right? These will be better nourishment for our bodies. These will give us better fuel to live. But a lot of us go, I'll take this right here, okay? I'll take this. Not because we believe something. You don't believe this is better for you, do you? It's not because you believe something. It's because your appetite is for this. And your appetite's been captured for sugar and for caffeine and for calories rather than things that nourish and nurture your body. Uh, Let me give you another illustration. Cotton candy. I couldn't find any cotton candy this morning. It's probably a good thing because I would have eaten it. Cotton candy, right? We market it like it's a food. You can get it. You can put it in your mouth or whatever. But here's the thing about cotton candy. The minute it touches your tongue, what does it do? It dissolves, right? Because it's just sugar. Sugar. And if you had a lifetime supply of cotton candy and nothing else, and you, and you had your kitchen just packed with cotton candy, you would starve to death with your cupboard stocked, Right? Because your appetite's been captured for something that doesn't actually feed you. C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. See, some of you go, well, my my, my appetite for sex, my appetite for sugar, my appetite for ambition, whatever it is, it's just too strong. I just can't control it. No, your appetite's not too strong. It's too weak. God wants to fill you with something much, much greater. However, there are some of you in the room and as we were talking about this, these uh, foods over here, you were going, I, I mean, I get the illustration, but actually, I would prefer to eat these things. To which others of you are going, have you lost your mind? Have you drunk a Mountain Dew? Come on. It's Krispy Kreme donuts now. But some of you are going, no, no, actually, I mean, Chris, you know, if, like, if you offered it, I, I, I hate to blow up your illustration here, but this is actually what I would desire. Well, that's good, and there's a reason for that. The reason is you've developed a taste for what fulfills you, right? Through through discipline, through applying what you know to be true, you've allowed your appetite to come under control, and, and over time and diligence and practice, you go, no, actually, I think this tastes better. I don't like this. Nikki was drinking a soda the other day. She goes, it tastes like chemicals. I said, because it is, <laughs> right? Like, that, But some of you, it's different. It's different. Do you know that David in the Psalms, we see time and time again talking about God and relationship with God and righteousness like it's what he really actually wanted, not an obligation. I've wrestled my whole life since I was probably four years old. Well, I know I I should want God more. I know I should want to read my Bible and not play video games. I I I, I know I should, but I don't know that I want David says this, Psalm 63, 1, O God, 
You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 143.6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Psalm 34.8, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. David doesn't say, now what you should do, come on people, it's in the law, God commanded it. David says, no, 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 just taste. He, he actually tastes good. He not only nourishes you, but you will savor the taste. You'll enjoy tasting of the Lord. That is the place that David got to. Let me give you a negative example of the same truth. The Old Testament in the book of Genesis, a guy named Isaac has twin sons. Rebecca and, and Isaac have sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau is out in the field and he's hunting and he's doing the thing. And when he comes back with, with the, the, the kill, his brother Jacob says, oh, let me prepare this for you. And he prepares a bowl of stew. You know the story, some of you. And Esau says, oh, Jacob, thank you so much for this bowl of stew that you have just so kindly prepared as my loving brother. To which Jacob says, there's a catch. You want the stew, I get the birthright. Well, in those days and in that custom, the oldest son who got the birthright got a lot more than just bragging rights. It was the inheritance. It was the riches of the family. It was the land. It was everything. It was honor. Jacob says, I'm the younger brother. By five minutes or whatever it was, they're twins. I'm the younger brother. But if you want the stew, you got to give up all of this. To which Esau said, I'll do it. One of the greatest sermons I ever heard was, was by Andy Stanley, and he was talking about this situation between Jacob and Esau, and he drew out a point that I had never up to that place in life kind of put together. He said, if Esau had not made this decision to, to let his appetite drive him to something that would satisfy his stomach for 30 minutes and then be out of his body within hours, if Esau had just been able to capture his own appetite and not be out of control with it, then we would sing to this day praise to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But we don't, because appetite wins. And Esau's appetite said, I want this now. And he traded it all away. We would never do something like that, right? Like we would never trade away our legacy. We would never trade away our family for, for something that just feels like what we want in the moment. Or would we? So here's the question. How, how do we develop a taste for or an appetite for what truly satisfies, right? Because I don't want to leave you with just going, oh man, I, I'm, in, I'm in the place of Esau. I want to get to where David was, right? Tasting and seeing. But I'm in that Esau place. We're going to come back to that. But let me make a second point that Jesus is making in Matthew 5, second truth. Movement matters. Movement matters. You may ask yourself, why, why doesn't the, the beatitude, why doesn't Jesus say this? Blessed are the righteous. Right? Like that seems like it would make sense. To be righteous is a blessing. But he doesn't say blessed are the righteous. He says what? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because the blessing's in the pursuit. It's not about arriving. 
Remember the twins I told you about, Jacob and Esau? Let me give you an example of this. Genesis chapter 32, we find Jacob, he has now gotten the birthright away from Esau. And this is a situation he finds himself in. He's running for his life because once Esau realizes that you know, he's been duped, he's, he's coming after him. In Genesis 32, verses 22 to 28, say this. That same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of a word I can't pronounce. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then, ja- and then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. This is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. I'll just put that out there, okay? But, but this is what we see happening in the passage. That, that word striven, it, it, a, a more modern inter- interpretation would be a word like persisted or contended with or persevered. This messenger of God or whoever this divine being is, is saying, Jacob, you, you, you wanted this so bad, you, you, you refused to give up on this for, for so long that it's actually going to change your name and your name is your destiny. Jacob, you've got a different destiny now. Now, Jacob was a deceiver and a coward. He was a lousy husband, a mediocre dad. But when push came to shove, Jacob said, I'm not letting go until I get the blessing of God. The the, the one thing I want more than anything else, more than a bowl of stew like my brother, more than sex or, or ambition or whatever it is, Jacob says, God, I want more of you. I want your favor and your blessing in my life. And what we see at the end of Jacob's life, he's an old man leaning on his staff and he's blessing his 12 sons. The favor of God that rested on him would rest on them. They would become the nation of Israel. Jacob's name would be changed to Israel, which by the way means he wrestles with God. So let me say a word to those of you that are wrestling with God right now. Please do not believe the lie that God is waiting to bless you until you arrive. Movement matters. That's why the word repentance is, is about movement. It's about a change of direction. Well, we, we, we have this uh, confused notion of God like somehow we can get to a place where like there's distance between us and God. Like he's a thousand miles away. Now I gotta work my way back to God. That's not the gospel. That's not how it works. The gospel is about movement. The gospel says God is right behind me, at my back, pursuing me. And the moment that I turn in repentance to him, I'm there. There is no distance. Jesus covered that gap. And now all he's wanting is for us to turn to him, to look to him, to draw from him. So just keep moving. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep turning yourself again and again. Jesus is there. Movement matters. Here's the third and final truth I see in that verse. The truth is, it's all about Jesus. 
I told you earlier, I think the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the, the, the answer to the questions that are raised in the Beatitudes. How, how do I become a person who is pure in heart? How do I become a peacemaker? How do I become somebody who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? But you know, the Sermon on the Mount has some really hard things in it. Don't know if you knew that. Things like Jesus saying, hey, you heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but I'm going to tell you that if you even lust in your heart for a woman, you've committed adultery. Oof. Thought I was doing good on the commandments, but not doing good there, right? Or, or Jesus says, hey, you've heard it was said, don't murder, but I'm going to tell you if you even have hatred toward a brother or sister, you've committed murder in your heart. Ah, shoot. Do you know what that person did to me? Yes, but unforgiveness, hatred, it breaks the Ten Commandments. You go, what is Jesus doing with all of this in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, he's reinterpreting the law through the lens of insufficiency. Not saying, here's the law, do better, Israelites. Hit it. You know, do these things. What Jesus is saying, here's the law, Israelites, no one can fulfill it. The way this was said in, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 64, 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a dirty garment. Or New Testament, Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The point is none of us can attain righteousness, which leads us to a problem. Is Jesus asking us to crave to hunger for to have an appetite for something that we can never experience to which i would answer this jesus promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled so what will they be filled with and the answer jesus jesus blessed are those who hunger and thirst for jesus because they're going to be filled with jesus that's why Paul says in Romans 10:4 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That word end, the Greek word there is telos. It's the, it's the goal or it's the thing aimed for. He, he says the goal of the law, the aim of the law was to bring us not to moral perfection and personal righteousness, but to bring us to Jesus. He's the root and the fruit of our righteousness. It's all about Jesus. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is simply to crave Jesus to have an appetite for him above everything else. Earlier this week, I was listening to a John Piper sermon. I don't recommend it. It's convicting. (laughs) Actually, I do recommend it. It's convicting. But John Piper talks often about loving God, enjoying God above everything else. It's kind of his one message that he always hits on. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm growing in conviction. And then as God would have it, I'm later that week, I'm reading in First Peter, and, and Peter's saying a lot of the same things Piper's saying, where it's like, man, it's all about loving Jesus. There's this emphasis there, and, and this growing sense of myself as a pastor of a church, a, a follower of Jesus for the last you know, 15 plus years, 20 plus years, man, do I, do I love Jesus above everything else? That's, I'll make it even harder. Do I love Jesus more than my, my wife and my children? Do I love Jesus 
more than the convenience of, of knowing that my mortgage is going to get paid and I, and I don't have to struggle month to month? Do I, do I, do I love Jesus more than the, 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 the you know, commendation and, and, and people patting me on the back? I mean, do I, do I love Jesus more? I mean, if it's stripped of everything else, if you put everything on a scale and said you can have all of this or you can have Jesus pick one, would I choose him? Is he all sufficient? Has my appetite really been nurtured for him, cultivated for him. And so I jotted down in my Bible off to the side in 1 Peter chapter 1 some questions, and I'm going to leave you with these. These are some questions, I think, that can help you to assess, man, do I, do I love Jesus? Because there is something different than just going to church, right? It is something different than just reading your Bible. Those are important if they aid you in loving Jesus. If they don't, they're legalism. So I jotted down these questions. Do I enjoy my time with Jesus and make it a priority? Well, sometimes. <laughs> or sometimes I make it a priority and I don't enjoy it. It doesn't have to be euphoria every morning. It's not like every morning I just am like caught up into the third heaven, right? Like, but is it like, no, I, I, nobody's beating me over the head. Like, I, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy getting the Bible, cracking it open. I enjoy just watching the sunrise, just, just giving Jesus glory. I enjoy just talking to him and laying my burdens at his feet. I just, I enjoy that. I prioritize that. Another question, do, do I love the things that Jesus loves? Jesus loved showing compassion. He loved proclaiming truth. He loved fighting for justice. He loved protecting the vulnerable. Do I love what Jesus loves? And a third question I wrote down, do I look for opportunities to introduce other people to Jesus? One of the things that happened when Nikki and I first started dating was I wanted to introduce her to my family. And there's like 20-something of them in my immediate family, so it took a while. But I wanted, I wanted people to know. One of my friends, I took her up to Indiana to, to my, my best friend's wedding. I'm like, come with me. I want, I want my friends to meet you, right? Like, I, I love her, and I want people that I love to know her and to love her. And if you love Jesus, one of the natural outgrowths of that is that you want to introduce other people to him. I say, hey, you, you got to know my friend Jesus. You got to know what he's done for me. Just like Carmen talked about earlier, the reason we have this gospel conversation wall and, and all those pins, they represent a thousand gospel conversations that we believe God has called us to have with people in our area this year. And we're seeing pins come off. Why? That could be motivated from guilt or obligation. Like, oh man, I should have shared. I'm going to try better. I'm going to... Or it could be, man, I just love Jesus. I just want other people to experience what I've experienced. And so here's how I'm going to close. The question we've got to answer then is how do I cultivate an appetite for Christ above everything else? Several years ago, one of my brothers was, and I told you I had 20-something family members, and some of you were like, I think he just misspoke. I have 20 siblings, brothers and sisters, uh, a dad and a stepmom. And one of them, I can't even remember which, because we just, I don't even know some of their names, but um, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, they were having a bachelor party, and we were going to a minor league baseball game, and right in front of the, the baseball stadium, there was a Chick-fil-A. Now, you know Chick-fil-A is always the positive example in an illustration, right? Especially from up here. Not today. Because we got Chick-fil-A. They didn't do anything wrong. Everybody gasped, like, oh, not Chick-fil-A, yeah. Everybody's like, oh man, they're, they're, you know, stuffing their faces with the chicken and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just sitting there. And they're like, I mean, they know I love Chick-fil-A, right? Like, Chris, why aren't you eating? It's dinner time. It's, you know, come on. I said, no, no, no I'm going to wait. 
Like, what are you going to wait for? Let me tell you what I'm going to wait for. When I get in that ballpark, a guy's going to come around and say, jumbo hot dogs. <laughs> and hot dogs only taste good in baseball stadiums. But for some reason, they taste really, really good. And guys, if I eat my number one with pepper jack cheese and Chick-fil-A sauce and my medium fries and a Coke, when I get into the baseball stadium and that vendor comes around, I'm going to go, I don't really want it. I'm full. I'm good. But I can get that anytime. What I really want is this right now. And so I waited. I let myself be hungry just a little longer so that I could be filled with what I wanted most. And so here's how we're going to end this morning. Pastor David is fond of saying this, and I love the quote, if you want to develop a hunger for Jesus, you have to stop eating everything else. You go, Chris, I, I want to, or maybe I want to want to, or I don't know how that works, but yes, I, I know I don't love Jesus as I should. I, I would like to love him more. Well, I'm just going to challenge you, stop spending yourself on everything else. You're never going to go on a sinning spree. You're never going to settle for second best and then come to Jesus and go, okay, God, now I want you more. That's why the discipline of fasting is, is biblical. Let yourself feel hunger so that you can desire something else more. And so we're going to end by just giving you an opportunity. I've asked some of our team leaders to be prepared for this, but if you know in your heart of hearts that there is a need to love Jesus more, this isn't an emotional thing. This isn't like a cry at the altar. I mean, maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if you just go, Chris, I just know. I'm not, I'm not loving Jesus like I should. It's not coming from that place. I'm filling myself with other stuff. And maybe some of it's good, but it's not the best. I want to invite you to come in this moment as we sing. And just stand right here at the altar. And that's going to kind of just represent a posture, a position of saying, Jesus, help me love you more because Jesus is not only the end of our appetite he's the one who gives us the appetite for him and so we just want you to come as we sing we're going to have people that will pray over, over you I'm going to step down um, and probably receive the first one or two we've got others who will receive those who come after that team would you lead us if you need to come and pray that prayer you come now thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast if you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.